All right. Hey, the right, the light is red. It says I'm live. It's Brent Leary. And once again, I like to call this the BBC, not that BBC, but it's the Brent Broadcasting Channel. I've been sheltering in place for way too long, but that's okay because I've been having some really great conversations about some important subjects and themes. And so I'm really excited to start to this week off with Salesforce's Chief Procurement Officer, uh, Craig Cuffey. Craig, thank you for joining me today, man. I'm really happy to be here, Brent, and thanks for asking. This is going to be, uh, you know, conversation that I, I've been looking forward to. I've been having a number of what I call really important conversations around what's taking place right now in the, in the country. Uh, we have, you know, the coronavirus. We have social protests. We have a lot of things going on. And I, I'm just curious when I have a chance to talk to people like you, about your perspective on things. But before I, I ask the first question, um, I want to, there was some profound words that I saw uh, posted in a recent Salesforce blog. And I'm going to, I want, I want to show you what those profound words were because you said them. Um, <laughs> so, so you were, it was part of, I think, uh, a discussion around Juneteenth. Yep. And uh, you were talking about a, a, a one word that comes to mind. Uh, about kind of what needs to take place in order for things to happen, in order for change to happen. And, and it was boldness. And, and here's your quote, but you, 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 I can understand that being the topic uh, for that conversation, but I think it also could be the topic and a great description of two gentlemen that we just lost, uh, John, John uh, Lewis and C.T. Vivian. Uh, maybe you could give me your thoughts, because it just happened over the weekend, of how that description that you put in your words here, how that fits those two gentlemen. Uh, yes, and, and thank you, Brent. So the, 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 the word, uh, this was a, a wonderful Juneteenth uh, celebration that we had. And unlike many tech companies who said, OK, we're going to make this a holiday, we said, we're going to make this a day of education and reflection and celebration, right? Um, so it's a different take, and we had a whole day of activities planned, and I was very fortunate enough to be part of a, a panel uh, with uh, our, you know, one of our board members, Robin Washington. And the word was, when you hear the word empowerment, right, and that led me, and he said, what do you think of us? It's, it's boldness, right? And because empowerment is, a, to me, a much overused word. Like, there are many words in corporate, right? America, we talk about, and they just get used a lot, but it's about, to me, it's about being bold. It's about, as I said, not living in fear. It's about asking the question, because what's the worst that can happen, right? What's the worst that can happen in in, in, in today's, uh, you know, world? Um, in corporate, you know, they can say no, right? That's the worst that can happen. But if you don't ask, you will never know. If you're not bold to ask the question, you're never gonna get, right? So you have to ask the question. We have trained ourselves as African-Americans, as black Americans, to just put our head down and do really good work and expect it to be noticed versus saying, hey, can we do this? Can we try this? Can we look at this? Going back to the weekend, which was the other part of your question, around the deaths of, of uh, Congressman Lewis and Reverend C.T. Vivian, um, you know, there are scant few of those great trees, right? Those mighty oaks still with us today. 
right? There, there were scant three. Andrew Young is still with us today, um, and and a handful of others. Uh, Clarence Jones, who's become a personal friend of mine, who was Dr. King's personal lawyer, still with us. They just turned ninety, is still with us today. And so there are very few of those great trees. And when I heard the news uh, Saturday, it, it you know it's one of those you know we've trained ourselves to numb ourselves right against bad news, right? So you kind of go, mm, it kind of hits you, um, and then you figure out. Um, I immediately shared it with my leadership team. So it came over my 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 phone as a feed from one of the news agencies. I shared it with my uh, my boss and the rest of the CFO leadership team. Um, and right after that, I, there is there is a, a a poem by Maya Angelou called "When Great Trees Fall." So if you haven't read it, you should find it, and and um, it's it's really profound. Uh, and I believe it was written around the time of Dr. King's assassination, mm-hmm. and it it just so aptly describes um, how we feel when great trees fall. Right, we shudder. We pause. We we are fearful, and then that feeling moves itself into a calmness and an uncertainty about how we move forward in life. Um, but it is appropriate for moments when we lose, um, you know, great trees like the two that we lost over the weekend. That's a that's a great way to put it too, because those trees were great, and they provided such a foundation for everything that's going on today. I mean, we've seen uh, since, you know, the death of, of uh, George Floyd, you know, social protests, and that's been well over a month at this point. You even have, over the weekend, things are still taking place. You know, things are going on in Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. What do you make of this moment right now? Is, is this a moment that you see leading to a movement that changes let's say not just things that go on in, in the justice system, uh, but do you see this as a movement that could change things like uh, what's going on with employment, what's going on with opportunities at the sea level? There was an article that the information put out, uh, I guess a little over a month ago, that found about 2.7% uh, participation um, for Blacks at the executive level at tech companies. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that it's it's not like it's a shock to anybody because I mean I went to my first tech company uh, tech uh, conference and I believe it was 1991. I don't think it's changed a whole lot since then. Uh, so what do you think of this moment? Do, is this is this moment have the potential to be a movement that makes significant change when it comes to seeing more black participation at the highest levels of of tech companies? I do, I do, and I, you know, this has been, and I sent a text to, you know, shortly after the killing of, of Mr. Floyd, um, you know, to our COO, and I said, I have never known tougher times, right? I mean, and if, no matter where you're from, if you watch the news, listen to the news, thought about what was going on, you, you have to take pause and go, what is happening, right? What just happened? What do we witness, right? And that single incident, you know, video for eight minutes and 46 seconds and then broadcast on the news globally crystallized the movement, right? Not the moment, but the movement, right? 
And it was hard. I mean, I had been on the phone nonstop. I mean, I got a crazy big job anyway, so I'm on the phone nonstop, and you throw all this on top of that, and then a bunch of other things we're doing in the company to, to address it and really show up and do our part and make change. Um, everyone is demanding change. So I said to my team, and it took a while to process this, to process the words. You know, when something really bad happens, you kind of, you, you have to put a schema in your head to think about it, right? Because there are places, I think for its own self-preservation, the mind will not let you go, right? It just, right? It just won't let you go there. So it takes time for you to figure out what, 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 just, what just occurred. And I said to my team when I was finally able to address them, I said, well, here's what I believe the way I can describe this. This country has an inch and a half of gasoline poured all over it. And the killing of George Floyd was a match. Will we let the country burn or will we save ourselves? Right? Will we save ourselves? And so it's not just tech, it's housing, it's voting rights, it's all of those things, the, the, the systemic racism in all of its manifestations has changed, right? Tech, you know, as an exemplar, um, we know what the answer is. We know the question because we ask that every day and you'll get 2.7% of executives um, from the VP level up to CEO are black against a population in the country of 13%, right? 13% against our 330 million people, roughly about 30 million people, give or take. And that's been the number that's been around since I was a kid. Sticks in my head, right? That hasn't changed. Population has grown, population has decreased. But when you think about an opportunity and throw this against one in three black men between the ages of 18 and 50 are incarcerated. Right? So you're automatically taking people out of the slipstream that could become CEOs. I had a profound conversation with a young man doing a start, he was doing a startup, grew up in Florida, awful circumstances, and he was moved to a charter school and he was saved by a math teacher who said, book that moved him to the charter schools. He said, you are gifted in math. I will talk to your mom. We will get you into this charter school. And had that not happened, he goes, Craig, would have been selling drugs on the street. Right? His vision of success was to get a nice car and a gun and sell drugs on the street. Right? So how many more of those and successful entrepreneur plugged into the VC community here in the Valley. I mean, that story is just amazing. So if we don't look at it, if we don't think about it, if we don't create the opportunity, no one's asking for a handout. We're just asking for an at-bat, right? Mm -hmm. We just want an at-bat. Right. Yeah. I just want to be able to swing, and people just want to be able to swing, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they hit the ball, and sometimes I missed the ball, but at least I got the opportunity to swing. And that's what people are, are asking for, not preferential treatment, just the same opportunity. And I think if we can create that same opportunity and companies have all come out, the big tech companies have come out with statements, they've put money behind it. Um, you know, I like to think that, you know, I'm five foot 10, because that's when I stopped growing and 
And I went from being a power forward to a ball handling guard. And the Lord knows I can't handle the ball. Save my life, right? But I like to think of myself as an Andre Iguodala. And I like to be able to come off the bench and score eight points inside a quarter. Then they can sit me down and let the other, you know, while the other, while the starters are resting. Um, we need to put points on the board, right? Because we know there are capable uh, African-American individuals at every level available to move in slots in the corporate. We know them. I've been a member of the Executive Leadership Council, the ELC, for 12 years. Oh, by the way, as Carl Brooks used to say when I joined in 2008, he goes, here are 500 of the baddest brothers and sisters on the planet. And they are, right? If you know Carl, that's how Carl talks. And I would show up in an ELC meeting and go, wow. There are 500 executives, you know, with the CEO being zero, with no more than three levels from the CEO of an enterprise. An enterprise had to be then a company that was publicly traded in $4 billion in revenue, right? And a ton of people trying to get in, right? And I was lucky enough to get in. I think that year we were $3.8 billion in revenue, so I was able to get in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, but, that's, that's but, a great story. Uh, and you talk about getting in and getting an opportunity. I I had a chance to talk to uh, Kamal Bob over, at Go, uh, he works at Google and at Georgia Tech. He's Google's global lead for uh, diversity, strategy, and research. And he also uh, heads up a department over at Georgia Tech around kind of getting more uh, inclusive in computing. And one of the things that he brought up about you know, you got to fill the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And right now, the, there's a pipeline problem because it seems like there's only a handful of schools that a lot of these big tech companies recruit. And let's face it, there's a lot, a lot of black folks at these schools. Um, mm -hmm. So that that's a that's a part of the problem. That's part of the challenge. What are the other things that you think need to happen um, in order for our for that pipeline to get full and, and for those opportunities to really uh, start reaching more of us? I think it starts with, you know, let's be clear, this, this is a behavioral issue at its core, right? And it starts with um, behavioral changes in organizations that say, I'm gonna go against my, my nature, right? So what normally happens, when I, and what I've seen in my you know, 38 years in corporate, is when you have a recruiting team um, and, and they tend to, the schools that they tend to go to is probably the chairman of the board went there, the, you know, the CEO went there, and you kind of go, how many black people are you going to find at some little university, university in the Midwest? It just, it's just not going to happen, right? So you have to force yourself against your, your better nature. It doesn't mean your nature is wrong, right? We are all comfortable with, with what we like to do. It doesn't matter what it is. I work for a guy who's hilarious. He said, you know, everybody says they love change. They love change. So go in their kitchen and move their silverware to a different drawer. They will lose their stuff, right? <laughs> right? Think about it, right? How many times you walk in the door and someone's moved your stuff? And it's, 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 it's moving your stuff. And it, so you have to get people to go, you know what? How do you get comfortable with being uncomfortable? I submit, right, that being a black executive in any company, you're kind of uncomfortable all the time, <laughs> right? right? And you don't always recognize it. It doesn't always manifest itself in a set of actions. 
but you find yourself with some level of uncomfort um, because you know that you are the only, right? And you don't want to be the only. You absolutely don't want to be the only. So it is literally doing moves like we did at Salesforce, where we took recruiting and recruiting now reports into our chief diversity officer, our, our office of equality, Tony Profit. That's a bold move, right? Um, to make sure that we have programs and policies in place and training in place to get away from that bias, that unconscious bias that we have as one thing, to make sure that we have uh, a slate of diverse candidates is another thing. And then three, make sure that we're hiring them, right? And it doesn't mean that they're going to get a home run every time you put a diverse candidate into a pool of candidates, but it means at least they got a look, right? Right? That, and that's 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 all we're asking, right? When it comes to adding blacks and tech, or any any um, industry for that matter. Right. One of the things I I get asked a lot because I've been around forever, <laughs> and I worked with a lot of different tech companies. Um, you know, it, it, people ask, well, is it purposely done? And I'm like, I don't know if it is. I think a lot of the beginnings of tech companies, particularly when you start at the startup and then they grow into something big. And you kind of uh, kind of alluded to this a little bit. When you're a founder of a tech company, you depend on the people you know best, right? I mean, you you depend on your classmates, you depend on your family, you, can, you depend on your friends. And they become your core and you know maybe the business starts really growing and grows ex you know exceedingly fast and you got to bring on people and once again you depend on you know your social circle and so you know if you're lucky enough your tech company grows to the point where you have to start hiring you know people that's not in your circle maybe it gets to a point where you're public but the core and the foundation is built and it's built on your social net social circle so when it comes time to you know extend it that's when they start having to purposefully you know try to do things before it was natural before it grew organically and i think that's a challenge for a lot of these tech uh, companies who you know they start out with their friends and family and, and social networks and and the foundation of the business is set before anybody else is kind of involved how do how do we infiltrate that because i think that that may be one of the uh the answers how do we maybe get them to expand their network at at the time where you know we can have diverse voices be a part of that uh growing and and building the business card i i think there's a couple of things that that hit me immediately brent one is um um to me it's less about infiltrating that and as we know, the growing cater of black entrepreneurs is not duplicating that, right? Because I, I you know, I, I, you know, one of my one of my mentors and dear friends said to me years ago, and it's it's not earth shattering, but it's absolutely true: a social system will create itself in its own image unless it's checked, right? It absolutely will do that, and that's just natural for us to do. So I can't fault you know the the founder for um, doing what any founder would do with the opportunity in front of him or her, which is who can I trust to go on this journey with me? I mean that's the fundamental question I believe that the founder starts with: 
who can I trust to go on this family this journey with me? Who knows me? Is it my family? Are my friends? Are my folks I've worked with who know me well? And I know I can trust them. I have a dear friend who recently retired, and 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 she would say, you know, sort of the mark of trust for her is 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 I'll let you babysit my kids. Right, because that's what you think about that highest level of trust. I'm going to let you come into my home and watch my kids. Right, not as a throw off. It's because I trust you. Right. And so, how do we become as a community inside that trust zone? Right. Um, and some of that is the opportunities that 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 happen there. So, so I so so again, the fear for me is that we do the same thing and and forget the fact that. A diverse team will always produce better outcomes than a non-diverse team. Be that team be all white, or all white men, or all white women, or all black men and all black women, because we're just not seeing. We perceive the world and translate the world in our heads very differently, right? You and I will probably have shared experiences, lots of them, but how we view that world based on our experience set will drive us to different outcomes given the same opportunity. So that's the thing for me, we can't say we want it and then not do it, right? You, uh, I think Salesforce has done like a, an, the best job of any tech company that I know recently of being inclusive and being diverse. Um, you mentioned Tony Profit. He's, he's just one of a, a number of folks that I've met uh, that I've been so incredibly impressed with that are at Salesforce and are in strategic positions, but are also very much about what we've just been talking about here, opening up opportunities for others. But it starts with Mark Finioff. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what Mark has meant to, to, to this and how he has set the stage for Salesforce to be what I consider to be a leader, at least particularly in the tech field when it comes to uh, inclusiveness and diversity and and trying to set a path for increasing opportunities for for blacks in particular when it comes to executive leadership at tech companies that that that's a that will all of that will be in my next book um <laughs> so so let, let me you asked about mark i've been with the company about three years and let me give you my impressions of mark when it comes to diversity and inclusion and equity and fairness. Uh, there are scant few CEOs that I've met, and I've met many and worked for a handful of them, um, that are as forward looking and thinking around this issue as he is. Um, one of the unique things uh, about Salesforce is its culture. Um, and it has um, codified that culture over the last 20 or so years. And this is you know, dead smack in the middle of it. Uh, there are questions, and I've been around, you know, in the workforce for a long time, and there's a, I don't know what magazine or what school put it out with the fundamental question, does a company have a soul, right? This company has a soul, and it's embedded in, or it is, its culture, right? Um, and then you have a CEO that lives it, right? And the leadership team lives it, and it flows down, and we all live it. And that's really important. Um, and he has been deeply involved uh, uh, with this issue long before it was an issue um, relative to diversity and inclusion and, and 
indexing on the things that are right and fair and just. So this is a natural extension of what he does, what the company does anyway. That being said, um, late, I don't even know what month this is, I think it's July. <laughs> I've been in the chair for 16 or 17 weeks. I've lost all track of time. can't feel my feet. You know, it's one of those things. Um, you know, we started a task force, our racial equality and justice task force. And it's modeled on a conversation we had with Melody Hobson. And so we said, Melody, how do you think about this? And Mark was doing the interview. Melody said, I think about the three Ps. I think about people, purchasing power, and philanthropy, right? What are you doing with the people, right? Are we indexing in the right way? Are we not indexing in the right way? And if not, why not? Let's understand that. Oh, by the way, they're just numbers and don't be afraid of them, right? If you go through all this and you say you got 2.7% of a population is all you have, then against a population of 13.4%, I think is a number, you go, that shouldn't be such a big lift knowing that they're out there. Purchasing power, where are we spending our money? I happen to be the chief procurement officer, right? So that's why I'm on this task force. Where are we spending our money? Where are we investing our money? So I partner with the ventures team. There's the money that I manage with a company to procure goods and services, but then there's the ventures team that are that committed to spending $100 million over the next three years on a dedicated fund to find black and fund black entrepreneurs, right? Um, and I'm gonna spend $100 million, I'm gonna spend more than that over the next three years, as well as grow um, our diverse supplier numbers 25% year on year, right? And both, by the way, that's ensuring there's a slate and making different choices at selection, right? Assuming all things are equal, why not? Um, philanthropy, what are we doing? What are we supporting? Are we enabling, right? And then the last piece, which we added, we added another P. So there are four P's instead of the three, policy, right? We stand up and we have stood up many times around policies, right? Um, when you think about what we did in Indiana and we said, you know, we're not going to work there. We're not going to keep that office there if, if this is the law of the land that's coming out. It's completely counter to how we think about people and culture and our values. So we've done that before. Um, so those are the things that, you know, brainchild of the CEO, unbelievably supportive. I've been doing this for the last five or six weeks with, you know, the leaders in each of those pillars. Tony Profit's got the people pillar. Um, Eric Lowe has policy pillar, you know, Ebony Beckwith has the philanthropy pillar. She runs our .org and our foundation, direct report to Mark. Um, so you've got the top African-Americans in the company, right, on this task force with, with a, a subcommittee of people that are subject matter experts and then about 50 folks that large driving this task force, right? And by the way, coming out and putting points in the board and measuring yourself directly accountable to the CEO, right? So that's what Salesforce is doing. That's what Marcus, you know, I can say has, has been instrumental in creating. Um, and he has been evangelizing this, right, in, in every public forum that I've seen him in over the last five or six weeks, um, which is fantastic. And it's not a one and done. And we talked earlier about um, the moment and I was with 20 chief procurement officers the other day, and I said, guys, it's time to take this moment and create momentum, right? And it sounds kind of catchy, right? But think about it. If you think about 
the world stepping up. And we've seen things that we haven't seen before. We've seen the NFL apologize to Colin Kaepernick. What? We've seen <laughs> around, right, around the globe, people go, this is not right. What? On, we've seen, we've seen legislation. I'm in Atlanta, 20 minutes from the Atlanta Motor Speedway with NASCAR. NASCAR. <laughs> when I saw the, the Confederate flag being banned from NASCAR, I was like, what? You know, yeah. so I mean, yeah. coming down. I've been in contact with uh, with 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 Bubba Wallace's race team just through a happy introduction um, through one of the CEOs that we do business with. And, and, you know, this 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 is wild. Right. <laughs> These are all uncharted uh, waters for everyone. But oh, by the way, what journey would you rather be on? Right. What ship would you rather be on? than the one that I find myself on, that the company finds itself on, that this task force sort of finds itself on right now, mm. right? I said to a group of, of people, when we got to a tool that we have called the V2 Mom, right? And it's a vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measures. It's a, think of it as a, as a performance objective type tool. And it allows you to articulate you know, a vision for the activity, a set of values around that activity, and so on. And, you know, they're tough to do. I mean, they're tough on a good day to get people aligned on those things, right? Um, but every major initiative we start, we start with a V2 month, right? On top of the company V2 month and our personal V2 months. So when we got through that process, I said, we will look back on this and this will be some of the best work of our lives, right? Mm. Engaging in this process right now, in this moment, in this movement will be some of the best work of our lives. And I absolutely feel that. And I know that. That's part of your quote right there. That's, that's absolutely. So I got to ask, though, Salesforce is a very successful company. Mm -hmm. You're, you're the leading in the industry. I mean, the market cap just passed Oracle, which I didn't think I would see, but it did. So there's a lot of success. Um, and all the things that you've just laid out that you're doing with inclusion, um, that's part of the success. So uh, do you see other companies trying to model what you've done because they do see you as being successful? And if you are doing these things and it is part of your success, then it seems like we should be doing it. So are you seeing an uptick from the other companies in the industry? Are they modeling some of the things you're doing? Or are you not? And if you're not, why not? Good question. So for for the three years I've been here and long before companies were modeling our secret sauce, which we start with the V2 model, right? And companies have said, hey, you know, we come in, we have a number of executive briefing centers and we take them through it. In fact, there are partnerships where we have joint V2 models, right? And that that centers the relationship. And I get, I don't know, several calls a week um, where it's like, hey, tell me about, you know, what are you doing about whatever, pick a topic. And they want to understand the secret sauce. And we've, we've readily shared, you know, how we think about opportunities and how we think about customers and how we drive customer success. So companies have modeled themselves to the degree that they can on, on successes that we have, and they will continue to do so. We will continue to push and drive growth and drive innovation and think about those opportunities. I mean, I mean, there's a new product out now called work.com. I was so pleased last night I was watching, uh, 
I didn't even know I was watching on TV because you just keep playing <laughs> on TV. I don't know what I was watching. And there was a commercial, a Salesforce commercial on work.com. And we thought, my goodness, you know what? And I tell people, you can shut down a building in about five minutes. You can evacuate it. You can do anything you want. But you can, you know, we effectively shut down. We went a soft shutdown in my office on the ninth and a hard shutdown not too, too long after. But at some point, people have to go back to work. And there are thousands of things that you have to think about as a company. Um, particularly in this pandemic, which may be an endemic, which means we we may have to just live with it, right? Um, as folks get back to work, what do they have to do? How do you, you know, one of the one of the funny things is the elevators, right? Hmm. So how many people can you have in an elevator? When they're in an elevator, a very confined, closed space, what are they going to have to face the back wall? Um, how do you get uh, shifts of people? What do you do to queue them up? What's the work that they'll be doing? You go on, how much separation do you need? Do you keep your social lounges or break rooms? Do you have the social lounges open? Or the social lounges closed? You gotta you have to answer all of those questions before you open your door. Mm. Right. And so when you think about, you know, our service cloud or sales cloud and other products, it's easy for us to think, wait a minute, wait a minute. We we could help companies, right? and provide some guidance. And trust me, there's a ton of conversations. I mean, we have Leading for Change, which is a which is a series, uh, an executive series that we have out now, which is open to the public. We have our wellness series, right, about how we operate and stay well, physically and mentally. We've opened that up to the public. That's all available. Um, we share our wisdom, we share our executives, we share our CEO and the rest of our leaders in, in sponsoring these conversations. Um, and I see companies absolutely will begin to do more of that. And in companies like us, uh, could, we'll put points on the board because this really matters. I mean, you, we, this is, we can no longer give this lip service, right? You can't give it lip service. A dear friend of mine, retired CFO, I won't give out his name with the name of the company. Um, he retired a few years ago and their CEO was struggling with trying to get um, diverse candidates, right, into senior roles. And out of pure frustration, um, you know, he went to the board and he went to the comp people and he went to his leadership team and said, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have milestones, measurements, and money, <laughs> right? We're gonna tie our ability to, to drive more diversity in this company, right, in a city that has a very large black population, right, we're going to top those three things, right? We're going to put up milestones. We're going to measure you, and we're going to pay you, right, for achieving those milestones. No, by the way, um, that company now has uh, from zero ever at least two African Americans on their board. They have newly appointed uh, senior executive running a big piece of their business. It's an African American woman, and for the first time, they've made the top fifty of Diversity Inc. Right. So they are intentional. Right. So the degree that companies, in my view, are intentional about making this happen, it will happen. Right. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, when we were kids, my brothers and I, we would do these fake interviews. We grew up in New Jersey and we we take whatever we had and pretend it was a microphone and go, the whole world is watching. Right. The whole world is watching right now. And you either want to be on the right side of this thing or the wrong side. No one will choose to be on the wrong side of this movement.
but the the thing is, and I, and I'll just maybe this will be how I I end with you because this has been a really great conversation. You mentioned that you know in your capacity as as the chief procurement officer, you you are setting aside a certain amount of money to do business with black or uh, diverse organizations. Um, you're investing in diverse organizations, and you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. So this. A, this does not sound like a uh, con uh, a charity move here. That's you don't do hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for charity. You maybe do a, maybe a couple million, but you don't do hundreds of millions strictly for charity. This is for business, and so I I, I would like just for you to talk about that aspect. It's this is a, an investment in uh, building a, a stronger. Uh, not just a strong community, but really a, a, a stronger country. Because if you're getting all uh, parts of the, uh, the the country participating from all different aspects, from all different kinds of people, it seems like you, be, you create a stronger country, you, you create a stronger company, you, you create a stronger customer base. So this is not a charity move, not those pieces that you described. No, it's not a charity move. We, we have a charitable arm of the company. And they don't give out, you know, little millions of dollars. They give out tens of millions of dollars, right, for various <laughs> things. And Ebony Beckwith, my, my dear friend, uh, leads that. We're talking about um, hundreds of millions of dollars over time. Um, you know, if you think about the uh, a group called uh, the Billion Dollar Roundtable, right? The Billion Dollar Roundtable has been around, um, started uh, by Bernard Tyson. God, God, God bless him. It's no longer with us but it's companies that spend a billion dollars plus a year on diverse suppliers, right? Um, so it would be very cool to be a member of that. And I've got a working with my team to figure out how we get there before I declare that. Um, but it's it's real, it's a real commitment. So I go back to Bernard Tyson, um, you know, one of the things that he had started um, and is now almost near completion before he passed was a, a new hospital down in LA in a pretty rough neighborhood. And he mandated that 20% of the employees will be will verifiably live, verifiably live within two miles of that hospital. And as you know, keep in mind, Kaiser Permanente, big, big long-term partner with Salesforce, Bernard was on our board of directors. When you think about health outcomes, which he was maniacally focused on, he knew that wealthy communities have better health outcomes. And so if you raised the standard of living in any community, the health outcomes will occur. And the phrase that was used uh, for this task force, another task force, I'm a bunch of them, another task force uh, around this topic was from counting spend to counting impact. Right? Counting from counting spend to counting impact. Why is that important? Chief procurement officers like me, right, as a comparo, talk about how much spend that we have on our management. Well, we've got this billion and that billion. That's you know, you know, you know people like me. That's what they talk about. <laughs> Those are the bragging rights, right? How much spend you have on our management. And so when you think about counting impact, right, it creates a different dynamic around where those dollars go in the impact that those dollars have in the community, right? So I've been saying, and I'm pushing my team 
is to move away from counting spend to counting impact. Mm. That's that I love that. Um, because if it's not having an impact, what's the point? What, what are you doing? Right, here? right. So how do you really move the needle? Because we can keep talking about this, yeah. right? I was I was yesterday morning, uh, there was an interview with uh, Congressman Lewis from, I think it was at the uh, 40th anniversary of, uh, of crossing the you know, Edmund Pettus Bridge and then again at the 50th. And the question was, you know, um, are we there yet? And the answer is no. I mean, we, we've come a long way. We've come a long way, but we're not there yet. It's how do we get there in every facet and the way that we can how do we do it right and we've talked we've just talked about a handful of them right yeah but there's you know in every walk of life um things have to change craig this has been great um what do you want to see a year from now two years from now uh with regards to what this moment started out with what do you think it will look like a year from now two years from now i mean relative to to we'll talk salesforce which serves as a proxy for many tech companies um we will see um diverse slates and we'll see improvements in our executive population right um relative to to procurement you know my what i'm responsible for we will see um you know a significant increase in our span with diverse suppliers. You will see um, uh, my team and the company begin to index more towards and then drive, you know, tell me why not, right? Um, in terms of policy, we will, we will uh, be more involved across uh, several platforms. We've got a great government affairs team that are working on that. We will see a year from now um, the kinds of things that we've talked about today in Salesforce and outside of Salesforce be more part of the slipstream, be more part of the normal standard operating procedures for companies. That's what has to happen, right? So it doesn't just have to be this, this thing that diversity is this thing that sits out there. It doesn't need to sit out there. It is part of the fabric, right? As it be weaved into the fabric of how we think about opportunities. Therefore, we don't have to think about it. It just happens. Right. I shouldn't have to say, give me a diverse slate, automatically a diverse slate of opportunities and or or or, or, or people show up. Right. I liken what I do in that regard to what happens in recruiting. You want a diverse slate? I want a diverse slate. We just need to ensure those things happen. Craig, where can people learn more about some of the things that you, you talked about and, and some of the things that Salesforce is doing in this area? Um, we published, uh, I believe it went public with our, our uh, uh, not the entire V2Mon, but but the, the key parts of V2Mon, we released that publicly. There was a Salesforce blog, so there's lots of information on the Salesforce blog. And, and many of us are available out doing things like this, talking about it, and really driving um, the kind of change. You got to be the change you want to see, right? And that's what we're doing. Well, Craig, this has been a real pleasure and I love what you guys are doing and I love that you're talking about it, frankly. I mean, there are some companies that I don't think feel comfortable enough to do that. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share with us and I'm definitely going to be uh, on the lookout and seeing how things progress. 
and looking forward to at some point doing this face to face and not just uh, virtually. Although it looks like we're in the same room. By the way. <laughs> hey, 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 Brett, how are you? Where's your right there in the hallway? <laughs> hey, uh, thanks again and enjoy your rest of the day and stay safe and stay healthy. I will. Thank you. The same to you. Take care. Thanks.